Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Nathan Kohlerman for part two of our conversation. In the first podcast, we talked about Nathan specifically and what he has done to optimize his life. Today, we dive into what he is doing as a coach to help others optimize their lives in mind, body, and spirit. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Nathan, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I am great, Ray. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm doing amazing. It's an awesome week, so no complaints. I'm excited to get you on here for part two, essentially. Um, We talked about more of who you are and your life in the past. Now I really wanted to dive into more of the coaching side of things with you, what you do as a coach, um, because you are doing some pretty amazing things with people in a way that most coaches don't think about. And I really love how how you're doing this and the outcomes you're getting because of it. So I really want to dive into that. But first, let's um, just introduce yourself again. Who are you and uh, what do you do? Beautiful. Thank you so much. So my name is Nathan Kohlerman. I am the owner of New Intention Health and Wellness. I'm also the director of education of Earn Your Booze. And I'm also a Lululemon ambassador for the North Scottsdale location here in Arizona. And primarily, I specialize in corrective exercise, movement assessment, and mobility and overall movement and flow. So essentially, when people come and see me, I'm going to assess, not guess. I'm going to look at their movement patterns. I'm going to see potential root causes of what dysfunction or what issues they might be having, and then implementing corrective exercise, primarily using uh, DNS, which is dynamic neuromuscular stabilization and the functional range systems. So the FRC and Kinstretch are really big models that I like to use and then transitioning them out of, you know, that post rehabilitation phase, whether they're coming off an injury or they're just in pain or they're just uncomfortable and being able to transition them into a fitness environment where I implement more unconventional strength training, like steel mace training, kettlebell training and animal flow. Very cool. Let's uh, I first want you to explain what Earn Your Booze is, because I'm sure people hear that name. They're like, what the heck is he talking about? So <laughs> go into a little bit of what that is first. Yeah. So with Earn Your Booze, we are disrupting the alcohol and fitness industry by bringing two polar opposite industries and bringing them together as one. So it is exactly how it sounds. We earn our booze. So typically we are apparel, events, and soon to be education. And what we really do is we we are building a community and a collective of people who essentially want to attain a lifestyle and, uh, you know, quote unquote balance to where, you know, in the fitness industry, it's always been demonized that, well, don't drink alcohol and do this and do this and do this and restrict this and restrict this, restrict this. And it was a, it was a pivotal point in my life when I started to really understand that I could have balance and I could have those things once I left bodybuilding and that's how I found Earn Your Booze and I got brought on um, by my good friend, Justin, who's actually the CEO and owner. So we do fitness events, we partner with major liquor brands and we have fit cocktails and signature cocktails specifically designed for the events. And then we just hang out, we have a good time and we just meet each other, enjoy each other and really just share our passion of wanting to stay healthy, but also 
wanting to socialize and drink beer and drink liquor and, you know, just have a good time. I love that you're doing that. And whether it's with alcohol or other foods, so many people get into this fitness mindset and wanting to get leaner and they work with different coaches or different programs that are so restrictive and they can't have anything off of this outside of this plan. And I don't know, for me, I just don't think that's an appropriate way to be. It, it just puts us in this really bad relationship with food. It puts us in a, like just thinking that all these things are bad and we can't have these things. Um, and then me as a coach, when I enter the scene, it's trying to battle all these mindsets and overcome them because these things aren't bad for us if we do them in moderation. Right. As long as there's an intention set with them, you know, um, as I shared in my, in our previous podcast with my story, you know, from addiction, one thing and what really gravitates me to earn your booze and, you know, what we're doing is the fact that I can look at alcohol now without the feeling like I'm going to get addicted to it or without the feeling that I'm using it to suppress something, you know, and I look at it now and I'm saying, am I using this to elevate myself or suppress myself? And every every single event that we ever, ever do together, it's always, I'm using this to elevate myself, to enhance my experience and to, to connect myself closer with not only people, but with myself. That's a great thing. Um, it's because we know how addictions can be, especially with alcohol, that so many people do use it as that coping mechanism and that depressive, you know, to get out of that depression or whatever it may be. And um, just to have that mindset of using it as a positive, as a celebration is such a better way to think about it. Yeah, hundred percent. Let's dive into kin stretch a little bit. I know what it is. You obviously know what it is. A lot of people don't know what it is though. So kind of uh, explain what kin, kin stretch is. Right. So kin stretch is the group format in which functional range conditioning is applied to. So to break that one down first, functional range conditioning is essentially how to optimize our joint function and being able to also isolate and identify, you know, where our limitations and movement might occur, but being able to also understand that a lot of the times it is because of the joint function. So what they do do in kin stretch, what we do in kin stretch, what I teach in kin stretch is essentially it's stretching and strengthening because a lot of people, you know, if they feel something that's tight, you know, a lot of the times they'll stretch it, but it could just be weak. So what kin stretch does is it actually applies the principles of both. It brings people together in an environment and it is built upon individualized joint function, breath work, and also incorporating different types of isometric exercises and movement pathways. So we can actually start at one, exploring our range of motion, Two, learning to control our ranges of motion, so our beginning range, our mid-range, our end range, and being able to have full control of our bodies, and then going into creating articular flows and creating movement from all of those other principles, so that way not, we're not only just optimizing our joints, but we're optimizing our abilities to use our joints, which then translate into our functional movement patterns that we use on an everyday basis. Explain a little bit why stretching just for the purposes of stretching does not always work and why we don't necessarily maintain that motion. Right. So with stretching and, and what they teach us in the FRS, the functional range system is that 
a lot of people will stretch and a lot of the guidelines that are put out is, you know, stretch 30 to 60 seconds. That's what I first learned as a certified personal trainer, but come to find out, you know, through these courses and through the literature, if we're not holding stretches for two minutes or more, there's actually, there, there's actually only an analgesia reaction, meaning that it's only a short term temporary painkiller. And neurologically, the brain doesn't register a biological or, or neurophysiological change. So it will always return it back to its normal state in which it's used to. So with kin stretch, what we do is getting into those stretch positions, holding those stretches for two minutes or more, and then creating isometric activation allows us not only to correct dysfunction, but also to restore the tissue's integrity and to also create more long-lasting sustainable changes over time because biological changes don't occur in one day as you and me both know you know if somebody stretches one time a week chances are it's it's not going to be a long-term result but if they can implement certain things like the functional range conditioning and if they can implement kin stretch and if they can start implementing these practices on a more daily basis and even stretching on a daily basis but applying the principles that are taught which is hold your stretches two minutes or more, then we start seeing more long lasting sustainable changes to where now we're having biological changes and not just these short term band-aid fixes that a lot of people are experiencing. And then along with that, what's the reason behind weak muscles getting so tight? Right. So essentially if, if, if a muscle is weak, chances are it's going to be in a lengthened state. And if the muscle is in a lengthened state, it's going to create tightness. Like a lot of people who have tight hamstrings, they're, they're very long hamstrings. They're tightened hamstrings. And then the reason being is because what we see a lot in your field and my field is everybody's sitting, everybody's in cars, you know, everybody has these, these flex forward hips positions to where we're, we're now in an anterior or a forward tilt position. And what that's doing is on the back of the pelvis, it pulls on the back of the body, which then lengthens hamstring. And that's what gives us tight hamstrings. So in reality, we want to have short and strong hamstrings. So when, when muscles are weak, they are become lengthened. And that's when we start looking at um, overactive and underactive muscles is what the National Academy of Sports Medicine identifies it as. And these underactive muscles aren't actually getting worked or strengthened. And in reality, people are stretching these tight muscles and, and they're actually making their issues worse and, and creating these tears and lesions and a lot of the things we see in, in everyday activities and sports. I'm glad you mentioned that, especially with the hamstrings, just because that is such a problematic one for people that it's always, I have tight hamstrings, I need to stretch them. And it's just in all reality, that's not, okay, it could be true partially, but for most people, that's not really what's going on. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, that's not what's going on because people are sitting a lot of the time. And when they're sitting, their hamstrings are in a lengthened position. And a lot of the time they could have tight hamstrings and they do need to be stretched. But at the same time, can we find a better way of stretching them? Can we use kinetic stretches? Can we use activation on both sides of the leg to there? Now we are creating activation within a lengthened state, which then we have, and we maximize the, the, the tissues adaptation response. And what I absolutely love about kin stretch personally is it truly gets us using that muscle at that end range where we normally don't challenge it too much. Um, we may go through a full range of motion with our strengthening exercises, but majority of time we aren't really forcing that end range and really strengthening that end range. So it's, it's a really great way just to really activate everything around that joint. Right. And you know, I, I always make sure people also know like, should we train an end range every single day? No. 
because chances are that might actually cause more damage than good. Just like everything else, we can do it too much. But even implementing it, you know, two to three times a week can can dramatically increase somebody's function in the gym. You know, I see people in the gym all the time, you know, carrying by, you know, just holding isometric bicep curls with dumbbells in their hands and their elbows are bent at 90 degrees. And essentially they're going to, they're going to be really strong at 90 degrees. But what happens when they come to like 30 degrees, what happens when they come to like 180 degrees, they're, they're not going to be super strong there. And if they are not controlling that weight and they hyperextend their elbows, then that's how bad things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I usually use kind of the Ken stretch stuff about once a week, which is, um, which for me, I'm able to maintain everything I do and do really well there. I will say my ankles finally getting better when <laughs> you worked on back in November. So there we go. <laughs> nice. What <laughs> is coming? Beautiful. Uh, so happy to hear that. Yeah. So that's, it's doing well now. Let's dive into animal flow a little bit. Um, I absolutely love, I'm not certified in it, but I absolutely love it. I plan to get, um, take some classes here soon. Um, just because it really works on all those just detailed body movements, but I really want you to talk about animal flow and what all that's about. Right. So animal flow is a body weight strength training program. I didn't create it. Mike Fitch created it. He's out in Boulder, Colorado, and they offer certification programs for trainers. So I've done level one, level two, and advanced design flow. So they have three different courses that you can take. And it is a bodyweight strength training program that is composed of several different bodyweight strength training strategies, such as calisthenics, capoeira, breakdancing, uh, martial arts, and, and, and we see so many different things fused together. And now that we have all those different training strategies, what it is, is it's actually created and, and presented in, as if though we are doing animal movements, like we have ape, beast, crab, scorpion, crocodile, we have leopard, we have so many different animals and, and we really do look like animals when we move like that. And it, it has so many different benefits. It increases your flexibility, your mobility, it increases your strength, especially your, your body weight strength, because we always load with weights, but we don't use our body weight a lot of the time anymore. And it enhances your communication with your body. It increases your coordination and it increases your power because we can actually start implementing different strategies such as tempo. And I teach in my classes that your tempo reflects your tenacity. So I do apply a little bit more of a mindful approach to saying, how are you feeling? And let's express that feeling through movement and let's get back into our bodies and get out of our minds. So when we do these classes, it's, it's really fascinating to see how often we don't do these movements, but how deceptively difficult it is because I'll demonstrate it. And I've been doing it for almost two years now. So I'll demonstrate it. And I'll make it look very easy, very fluid. But then, you know, someone who's never done this before, somebody who doesn't ever do body weight training before, it is incredibly challenging. And it really does expose all of our weaknesses that we didn't know we had. And I think it, for me personally, as a clinician and really someone who focuses so much on body control with different movements we do, especially in OCR and our hanging is not even body weight. We just don't have good control of those fine movements. Like just thinking about what people do with their shoulder blades and how to move that and be able to control that or the pelvis itself and just getting those fine tuned movements 
most people don't know how to isolate that. Yeah. And, and I'm really glad you said that because um, what Mike teaches, especially in the courses too, is he actually, he warms people up with the FRC stuff with the FRC movements, because being able to control your joints, control your body, and then apply it in a movement practice that is unfamiliar with, it actually starts to retrain the, the movements that you may not be doing on an everyday basis, especially people in the gym, you know, people are doing lap pull downs and, you know, you see their traps up in their ears when, when in reality they should have their shoulder blades, you know, retracted and depressed. So that way they're actually getting full function of the lats that they're trying to exercise. So we're not really actually using the muscles that we're supposed to be in the gym. And what animal flow does and why I love it is because it's, it's given me such a powerful way of controlling my body even more and being able to express my movement in different ways that I didn't know was possible. So every single time I do it, I learn something new about my body. I'm like, Oh, my hip sucks today. Or, Oh, my, my hand is bothering me today. um, Maybe I should, maybe I should actually look into that, you know? So it is, it is a practice in which um, my students and myself use as a discovery method, a self-assessment method to, to see where our weaknesses are. And I like how you phrase that too. And it's a good thing to point out that this is how I'm feeling today, that every single day is a different day and our bodies feel different. And we can't base our training session today on how we felt yesterday because yesterday could have been a great day. Today might not be. And I think it's really important to point out that, yeah, every day is just different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting how, how the body responds, you know, even just from one day to the next, we may do a corrective exercise to, you know, work on our ankle, you know, but then again, the next day, now it might move up to our knee or it might move to the opposite side because our body's constantly shifting and changing. And, you know, especially in, in the fields and the work that we do, you know, we see things shift and move all the time because the, the body is just always going to take that path of least resistance. And if we fix an issue, chances are it's going to expose another issue, you know, that we may not have realized. It's essentially like I always explain it like an onion that we just have to uncover every single layer. And eventually you get to that core of what actually is causing all of these other 10, 15 issues. Mm-hmm. Let's dive in to what I'm really excited that you do with your coaching, which is the mindfulness meditation, yoga, all of that direction of things, because I think that side of things is ignored by a lot of coaches. And it's so important, in my opinion, to how we function in performance as humans in life, just in general. Yeah, thank you. And that's something that, you know, I've experienced in my own personal journey, you know, because I came from bodybuilding and powerlifting. And in my youth, I was in mixed martial arts and football and wrestling. And none of those things were taught to me ever since I was a kid. And it wasn't until I, I was a bodybuilder and I tried yoga for the first time and I was literally sweating, drenched. It was, it was harder than any workout I could ever do. And it really showed me that, okay, there's more to, to, than just weightlifting and lifting weights and looking good, but it, it, we do need to start implementing things to feel good and to move good because they, they all run hand in hand. And, you know, I built new intention with, with, a tagline of redefining human optimization through mind, body, and soul, because we do have so many multifaceted approaches and pillars to our health and wellness, not just to our fitness, where fitness is broken down as, you know, training, nutrition, and recovery. Whereas health and wellness, we, we really do need to have, we need to have a healthy body. And then we also have to have, you know, 
well, we don't have to have it, but we can have a preference to have spiritual and mindfulness practices to regulate our stress and to find out and discover ourselves even deeper to our core and to our purpose. So what sort of things are you doing with your, um, with your clients in order to really address that mindfulness side of things in their training? Yeah. So I'll leave with an example. Like today I was working with a client who he was working all week. He was out of town. He was driving. He was doing so many different things and he, he just came in. He just, he just felt like crap. He just felt super, super stiff. And we were moving through some movements and I was taking him through some FRC. I was taking him through some kin stretch and, you know, about halfway through the exercise, you know, once we got through one side of the, I kind of just asked him, I said, well, how are you doing mentally? Like, how's your stress? How are you, how are your thoughts and emotions right now? Because those will directly be correlated to what you're experiencing in your body. You know, once I, once I heard this phrase that emotional issues are stored in our tissues, it made me realize that, you know, our, our body is going to react to stress as stress. We can have physical stress placed upon the body and we can be tight and we can be weak and we can have pain and we can have soreness. But then, you know, if we have these mental and emotional struggles and we have this stress overriding our body at all times, our body is going to react the same way. It's stress is stress. That's, that's how the brain registers it. And it's going to push signals of pain and discomfort and stiffness and tightness and inflammation as a byproduct of that stress hormone. So looking at it from all angles, being able to ask my client in the middle of the session, like, how are you doing mentally and emotionally? And once he started talking about it, and once he started really expressing himself, then it started again, like you said, beautifully pulling back the layers of what's really going on. And once he was able to express that and, and transmute that vibration out of his body and transmit those, those feelings and thoughts out of his body, he immediately started moving better because now he wasn't holding on to all that stress, but he was able to openly express himself and release all of that, all of that energy that is being stored up in his body. So that's just an example, but yeah, it's, it's something that's really overlooked. And I, I admit I overlooked it for years until I guess when I started going to my divorce and my performance was really declining in the gym. And I really started noticing how impactful that life stress can be on be on us as humans. And it's really helped me as a coach and in order to coach other people when they're starting to get this fatigue or just getting things that aren't making sense. It's what's going on in your life right now. How are, you know, like, just like you said, how are you emotionally, mentally, like what's going on? Because something else is triggering this most likely. Yeah. And you know, I think we had a conversation about this before, but I think one of the first exposures I had to this, at least working with people is when someone came and saw me with fibromyalgia and, you know, no matter how much DNS I did with them or how many movements I gave them or how much, you know, how many cars I gave them, you know, he just wasn't getting out of pain. And I realized that pain is such a multifaceted issue that we can't just sit there and say, oh, well, your gait pattern is wrong and your big toe doesn't have enough extension. So that's why you have hip pain, you know? So I, I started digging deeper and I started asking the questions, what else could cause these things? And one thing that I look at is the energetic symptoms behind pain. And if we have hip pain, we have a lot of 
emotions stored in our hips. We have a lot of our love and relationships and the issues that we experience there. And once I work with somebody for, for long enough, you know, I won't tell them, Oh, how's your relationship? You know, I'm not going to just ask that right off the bat, but once I develop a relationship and they start to trust me and we build trust, then, then that leads into surrender of the ego to where someone could maybe open up and start talking to me about the relationship. And if I can build a relationship and build trust with somebody and have that connection for them to have somewhere safe to not only express themselves in, in a physical space, but also a mental an emotional and a spiritual space, then a lot of the times it actually accelerates the process of being able to get them out of pain. Yeah, that's just, it's just beautiful, in my opinion, the way that we can change the body just by doing some of these simple things. Um, is it always emotions? Absolutely not. But there are so many things that are tied up with that, that sometimes just having a conversation for half an hour and letting someone vent can all of a sudden drop their pain from an eight to a three. And you know, you didn't do anything else. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's why, you know, how many times have you worked with somebody and they're like, Oh, well, I know what's causing it. <laughs> and then, and then you ask, do you, <laughs> do you really know why you're in pain? Right. And it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, I was there and I was like, Oh, this is your problem. And this is why you're in pain. And essentially what I came to the fact is, is that we're all placebos. And if we start believing something is the pain, then essentially that might actually start becoming the pain. But if we were to start just implementing things and just, if it feels good, it feels good. And if we keep doing it, we might start feeling better, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It's not going to say like, Oh, this is going to fix your issue because the minute you say this is going to fix you, or this is going to make you feel better, which is modern Western medicine, take this pill and you're going to feel better. Right. If we keep telling these people them those things, then that belief starts to be ingrained in the brain and then all of a sudden they start to feel better and then they think oh it's because of the pill no it's because you believed that the pill was going to help you so if you can fully trust the process in not only one thing like that but in everything more holistic ways we can actually create the same type of effect even if it might take a little bit longer yeah that's awesome as you were talking, a thought came to mind, and I'm curious when you're dealing with. I'm just. I'm. I'm curious how you deal with it when you're talking with people who have been in chronic pain for a long time. We all. We both know the. A lot of people develop these fear avoidance issues, um, not wanting to actually, you know, scared to return to activity, that sort of thing. How do you work using whether it's mindfulness, yoga, whatever it is? Um, how do you work with some of these people to help them integrate back into life? Yeah. So, I mean, if anybody tells me that they have like sharp pain, if they have tingling sensations or anything like that, like I'm not a doctor. So I'm going to, of course, tell them first and foremost, like you need to see a medical professional just because you are experiencing these things just to rule out or to identify or confirm that something might be bothering or exacerbating the issue, or this is the reason could be a reason why. Um, but if, you know, I work with a lot of people in the post rehabilitation space where the return to activity is, is based on fear. So one thing that I personally, in my journey, which how I found animal flow is removing the fear that I was going to damage my hand working out. So I started doing something that would challenge me, but not only challenge me physically, but challenge me mentally and remove the fear that if I do something, it's going to make it worse. So when somebody comes to me, I'll identify like, what are you afraid to do? You know, what movements are you afraid to do? 
And where do you feel unstable? Where do you feel uncertain? And I'm going to say, okay, well then we're going to work towards that. That's going to be our goal. You know, we're not going to set this expectation that, oh, well, we're going to do this and it's going to get rid of this pain and it's going to do this and it's going to do this. I try to get my clients as far away from thinking about pain as possible because, you know, what I learned through the FRS model is, you know, the type four mechanoreceptors, the pain receptors that we have in our bodies, right? They, the more we focus on our pain, the more we proliferate our pain, the more we actually make our pain worse, the more we focus on it because where your energy goes, it flows. So I teach them that principle first is I want you to try to not think about pain as much as you can. If you experience it, I want you to observe it. I want you to identify what you need in that moment to feel safe. And, and I will make sure that we have that, but we're going to work towards removing your fear. And if you've shattered your heel, which happened with one of my clients, she shattered her heel and, and a lot of different bones in the ankle area, call it all that stuff. You know, she, she didn't walk on it right for 50 years. She, she shattered it when she was 12 and she was afraid to put weight on it for 50 years. And, you know, no matter how much therapy or how many specialists she saw, you know, they're trying to do all the corrective exercise, all the physical therapy, all the chiropractics, all the body tempering, the massage therapy, you know, you name it, you know, and I, and I asked her like, has anybody ever asked you to like step off a box and know with that leg and gradually start increasing the height? And she's like, no, I said, okay, we're going to do that. So it took a few tries. It took the entire hour actually, but every single time she was, she was experiencing this fear, I would just encourage her and I would give her the, the reassurance and the validation of saying like, you're, you're safe. Like after 50 years, I highly doubt you're going to shatter it. You know, you've been walking on it for all this time. You've put weight on it in physical therapy. You've stood on a single leg. So let's just take a step off a step, a regular step, like a staircase. And let's lead with that foot instead of your other one. You've been leading with the other foot for so long. Let's start small. Let's just start stepping off with that non-dominant foot, the one you injured, and we'll start building your confidence within that. And after a few times, and I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to get a stepper now, and we're going to put some blocks underneath it, and we're going to raise it a little bit higher, and then step off and do it, and step off and do it, and step off and do it. And the more repetition that occurred, the more confident she became. And after the hour, she was stepping off a 20, 20 inch, 24 inch box, leading with that leg and just landing. And she was just so happy. It was like the first time like she's ever walked on her leg right in, in 50 years. And I started working with her in November, 2018. And she was in Bali with me, September of 2019, scaling up and down two miles of a waterfall in Bali. And she had never thought she would ever be able to do that. And all it took was somebody letting her know, like, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And we can start building confidence within this slowly and surely. And that is what gave her the confidence back of going, coming from an injury and getting back into a fitness routine where now she's in personal training two times a week and she is killing it. That's really cool. Well, that's a great story. Well, Nathan, to kind of finish up, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you feel is really important to address with what you do with your, with your clients or even your life? Yeah. Um, I kind of just gave an example for the mindfulness practices um, and just kind of being mindful and how our, our, our mentality and how our emotions influence our body. Um, but just for 
the listeners, the things that I use in my mindfulness practices, you know, I do have, I break it down into like weekly routines. So I do have daily routines such as, you know, meditation and journaling and I'll sometimes implement some breath work, whether it be some box breathing or some parasympathetic breathing, some pranayama, alternate nostril breathing, which, you know, people can look up and they're very simple to do and implement. Um, but in terms of me personally, one thing I've always struggled with is control. I try to control everything in my life. And it became very apparent to me that the more I try to control things, the more things aren't going to work. So I started implementing practices of surrender. So a couple different practices that I, I truly, truly love is gateway healing. It's the energy and spiritual healing practice that I'm a certified practitioner in. And it is a combination of breath work and surrender to spirit to come in and do the healing for you. That is one thing I do. And another thing is ice baths. And as we experienced in Flagstaff, I love the ice bath. I absolutely love it because it is absolutely a practice of surrender to really be in the most uncomfortable position, but knowing that you have full faith, confidence, and trust that you're going to come out of that situation stronger. But surrendering to the cold and surrendering to the outcome, but really attaching yourself to the process in that present moment has done absolute wonders for me because now I can apply that principle that I learned into my everyday life. And one of the most recent things I started implement, implementing has been sensory deprivation therapy or a float spa or a float tank. And that's because I have had a really hard time, you know, especially after my breakup back in November of being alone and being alone with my thoughts and being in silence, you know, because I've always had somebody there and I've always, you know, been busy and I've always, I always stay busy. That's, that's my way of, you know, coping with, with difficult things. I try to just layer myself with more stuff to do. So what the float tank has done has actually allowed me an hour in complete darkness and complete silence to be with myself, to be with my thoughts and, and to really be able to just sit with emotions that I might be feeling, but also in, in a safe place. You know, if I'm going to cry in a float tank, there's nobody around that's going to judge me. And then after that experience, I can, I can really ask myself, like, why did I cry? Like, why, why, why was I so emotional? And it does give me an opportunity to sit back and quiet the noise and to put away all my responsibilities and all of my, you know, duties and really just being able to reflect and, and ask myself, like, how am I doing today? So those are, those are three very powerful practices that I use in my daily life. Very cool. I love that. If someone has more questions for you or wants to just kind of see more about what you and your company are about, how can they find you? Yeah. So they can find me on the website. It's www.neuintention.com. And they can also find me on Instagram at Nathan Kohlerman. And they can also find the business Instagram at New Intention. And people can always find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter as well. Awesome. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you getting on and talking with me again. Of course, Pete. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.